Alrighty, we are back. Your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly. It's episode number 493. We are recording live on December the 1st. Yes, it is December now. It is, uh, we have a light flurries snow going on here in Toronto today. Not much. It's still pretty much green on the ground, but you know, it's pretty at least. Uh, there you go. How are you? I'm good. And believe it or not, we actually had some icing flurries here yesterday in Atlanta. Can you believe it? It's crazy. Um, But the sun's out today. So hopefully it was really cold. (laughs) I'm not ready. Yeah, we we we're in that weird time right now in Toronto where you get like two, three days where it's like quite warm and then it kind of drops down. Uh, so we have this like Texas low or something they call it that's kind of coming to the East Coast and it's kind of pushed up some cold air for this week. But like on the weekend, it was, you know, 50, 60 in and around there. So, you know, it, it's up and down all, all the time right now. So anyhow. Alrighty. Well, we have a, well, you uh, can be a great what's, weatherman sometime if all else fails. Yes, I, I have another career that, that I can turn to. There you go. Um, yeah, so we have a good show for you. Uh, four interesting uh, stories to cover uh, this week. And um, yeah, it, it's uh, there, there's not a lot else going on right now. Obviously, you guys are in the middle of uh, political transition. Uh, there's not much going on in the sports world at the moment. We're in that lull right now. Uh, you know, basketball is about to ramp up. Hockey's about to come back. I guess the NFL is still going right now. Um, soccer's in the playoffs. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's kind of that last little run until we get to Christmas or whatever. But um, anyhow, how was your Thanksgiving? It was really nice. I mean, it was very low-key, very relaxing. Um, we just stayed here. I only co- cooked a couple of things, ordered the rest, uh, and just really enjoyed family time. We decorated for Christmas, put the tree up trees up and uh you know just had lots of like arts and crafts and activities to keep the kids entertained um but I was glad when it was time for school to start again so it was good but thanks for asking so, yeah, yeah. Okay. ready for me to jump into yeah, it let's do it let's do it all right so our first story is um from a company that uh is out of Palo Alto and it's called Incognium and I know that this, um, I'm connected to this founder somehow I'm trying to remember, which is like bothering me that I couldn't remember how we got connected. But, um, you know, he started a few different companies and this company Incognia is really focused on solving uh, payment fraud through QR codes with location. And so just some interesting information about this solution is that they're using this anonymized location data basically as a verification tool. Um, So this will obviously increase security, minimize fraud, but apparently, um, you know, fraudsters are learning how to create these, uh, you know, not fake QR codes, but QR codes that are sending payments to the wrong places. And in order to, uh, you know, bypass that, this solution basically is taking into consideration the phone's history and location. So when you sign up with this specific feature, 
Um, I'm not sure if it's like an SDK that gets embedded in an app or how exactly they're deploying it, but basically the technology is taking your home address and looking at your behavioral patterns where you go. And if something doesn't match, it will flag it um, in essence. So it'll use like network signals, on-device signals, um, and it'll take everything in real time and basically say how high of a risk this, uh, this specific purchase and transaction is. Uh, and so it scores it. So basically to prove the identity of somebody, um, the location-based solution will match the home address that's provided you know, to all of this data and information. Um, and it happens in the background, supposedly without any friction. So one, I didn't really know that QR code fraud existed, but you know what, where there is money, there's going to be fraud. And so I think it's great that they're figuring out how to use location as a verification tool. We've you know, seen this before in a lot of other aspects and uh, maybe it's the, uh, uh, you know, where your phone is as, as where you're paying or, um, you know, even a lot of banking institutions and financial institutions are using, you know, IP geolocation to map impossible travel. We've, you know, seen that a lot with my prior role uh, at Digital Envoy. And so, you know, I think this is smart. Like where wherever you see technology improving, you're also going to see crime going um, and certainly like trying to uh, attack and infiltrate those transactions as much as possible. So, you know, when you think about new ways of paying, new methods of paying, you also have to think about new methods of safety and security. So I like that they're thinking about this. Um, you know, I'm not sure depending obviously on uh, how this is actually embedded, if it is on the brand app or the restaurant app or through the payment or just on the, you know, if this is consumer direct, um, that's the questions that I have. And I think that will definitely depend on that. Be the What is dependent upon that is the adoption. So if it is direct to consumer or, direct, you know, B2B type of play here, then it will just depend on how they scale this, but I'd love to see, uh, you know, a company like this. The founder came from Brazil, here in Palo Alto now, uh, definitely trying to kind of uh, think of things in a new way. So I'd love to see them succeed and get some some wins under the belt. Yeah, no, I, I think this is uh, something that we need to be looking at right now, especially with this resurgence in, in QR codes being used for, you know, payments, for contact tracing for all sorts of different things right now. And I think, uh, especially in the payments area, um, this makes a ton of sense. As you say, like, you know, as people are embracing, you know, these technologies, you always have to think about sort of the downside, uh, you know, the, the potential criminal uh, side of what's going on over there as well. Uh, Andre Faraz, the guy you mentioned, uh, who heads up uh, Incognia, um, you know, previous uh, to that uh, was uh, founded in Loco. So, you know, this is somebody who, uh, and, uh, you know, has that sort of pedigree and that expertise in the, in the field of location data and, 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 and understands the industry. So, so, you know, I can appreciate that he's coming from that with, uh, with a lot of experience. Um, you know, the, the field that we're talking about here in terms of financial services, banking, payments, and the use and intersection of geolocation data, I think is, you know, there's a long history there. Uh, you know, lots of credit card companies in particular uh, have been using this type of data to ensure that people are who they say they are or where they say they are, uh, you know, when they're initiating a transaction, you know, 
we've all had, hopefully, I think we've all had that situation where we get the phone call from our credit card company saying, you know, were you just in Las Vegas and I'm, I haven't left the country, you know, like those kinds of things. Uh, because, you know, they can tell from a geolocation perspective, you know, we're not following the normal patterns of behavior and travel and so on and so forth. Um, I know U.S. Bank uh, Corp uh, did a um, project with their Flex uh, Perks app a little while ago where they use location data to kind of verify transactions that are going on. And you can opt into to that as a consumer through the app, um, uh, you know, from that point of view. So, so I think from a fraud uh, detection and prevention point of view, there's a huge uh, need here for this type of application. And I think the latest sort of variant on that is to apply this to QR code based payments. Right, because there there is that sort of surge there, right now to have that contactless, you know, sort of scan, pay, you know, recognize, um, and and facilitate that, and and the ease of that is great, but you have to also make sure that people's uh, financial data is protected. So I, I like it. I don't have much more to say about it than that. Um, all right, on to our second story. So local story here now for for me, um, the Ontario Regiment Museum. So this is a. Uh, uh, a military uh, history type of museum here in uh, Oshawa, Ontario. So just actually not too far from where I am on the on the uh, east side of uh, of Toronto, um, has uh, launched something called Master Corporal Lana, and uh, she is a artificial intelligent virtual assistant. Um, and so you know we've talked a little bit on this show about contact tracing, data collection. Obviously, at ground level insights, we're doing some work there with our Canatrace uh, platform to help businesses. But this takes it a step further, and I, I really quite like what they're doing. So, if you walk into the museum, uh, instead of having to fill out a pen and paper, you know, sort of name, email address, phone number, and collecting the data that way, or even scanning a QR code or something like that, they've got this virtual assistant, uh, essentially. Um, uh, called Master Corporal Lana, who basically asks you the screening questions and you uh, uses facial recognition technologies and so on uh, to kind of take you through that screening process. Uh, so greeting you and checking you in uh, as you come into the uh, museum. And now they now uh, they started with, a, with one uh, sort of assistant and now they've added a second one in for employee screening. So they have a staff sort of entrance and they screen employees coming in to the facility for, for you know, COVID screening that way and then guests coming into the main uh, museum property the other way. Um, and so I, I think this is quite interesting. I think it's, it's, it's a kind of a, a neat way to blend, you know, virtual assistant AI technology with, you know, something that's really, you know, important and necessary right now, which is COVID screening. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, uh, volunteer, the volunteers who are working on site essentially, you know, are screened using facial recognition. The museum has a record of everybody who's been in the building um, in case that you know there's a, a potential uh, positive case that needs to be followed up on. Um, the other thing too that I, I thought that they pointed out in the story is that um, initially they had some pushback from some of the older uh, population that were interacting with this, but in the end, they uh, they've actually you know quite come to enjoy that experience and interacting with this thing. So, it I, I think it's a, a, an interesting way to potentially sort of expose you know, an older generation to, you know, technology in something that's conversational, uh, doesn't involve them having to download something, install something, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I quite like it. Um, it's uh, the technology is provided by a local provider here uh, called Cloud Constable. 
that makes virtual uh, agent technology. So there you go, Master Corporal Lana. What are your thoughts? Lana, I like the name Lana. I mean, Master Corporal sounds like a little extreme and scary, but um, I agree with you on the the sort of multi-generational approach. I think it's great that there's no like download necessary. There's not um, sort of this, maybe the barrier is just comfort, but um, I think that's a little bit easier to subside when there's not like a technology barrier. So, you know, um, you know, I remember I got, uh, we got my grandmother like an iPad or something and we returned it, you know, a few days later because she just could not figure out like how to work it no matter how much time was spent kind of going over things. So sometimes there's just like a learning curve that can't be, you know, yeah. bridged in some cases. And this seems like it's a pretty simple thing, especially since it's conversational. So I do like that. I think it's well thought out. And the other idea that I had was, you know, I'd love to see what something like Canatrace and, you know, Lana could do together. So uh, I think there's definitely options for a sort of multi-pronged approach um, to tracing and making sure that everybody stays safe. Um, and I think that for me, I like this approach um, rather than downloading something on my device because I, I feel like the idea of privacy um, and using the data for good is, is always like a great, is a great thing. However, I think there's a lot of potential for um, data to be used for bad. And, and that's like a fear that more of our generation has. Um, and so just interacting with something from facial recognition that, uh, you know, is just sort of, um, capturing that and it stays at that location that's not following me around, I feel uh, might be a, a less intrusive barrier to entry. So I like this approach. Cool. Excellent. All right. On to a completely different yet uh, fun story. Yes. Fun story. So um, I don't know if I can even, let's try. I have a filter on my face. Now, can you tell I have on virtual makeup and this is made possible by L'Oreal. So this is a fun kind of, um, you know, a, a fun story, a fun AR story here that I'll do with my my makeup on. So they introduced a virtual makeup and this is um, available, they said for social media, but obviously it's for calls as well. Um, so you can just, you know, roll out of bed and put on some fake makeup and see, you know, maybe it'll help spruce you up a little bit. So they have, um, it's called Signature Faces, um, and these filters are available on Instagram, Snapchat, Snap Camera, and Google Duo. But Snap Camera works with like Zoom and all the other platforms, so you can just like add in the filters, so it's really cool. Um, so, you know, the fact that you can just, you know, everybody's on mobile apps right now, right? But a lot of times we are not taking the time to get dressed or... In my case, like I'm usually in yoga pants or sweatpants and then like a nice shirt on top, <laughs> you know, like putting in the bare minimum effort here. So I love that they're thinking about, you know, how do we engage consumers with a makeup brand? You know, obviously with the pandemic, a lot of people were not buying um, a ton of makeup and they were just sort of seeing a decline in some of their sales, but they were hoping to boost e-commerce sales. Uh, through some of these fun filters and just engaging with uh, with their consumers in a fun and unique way. And I really like this. So they're like touting this as new experience of modern makeup, new digital lifestyles. Um, and then remember a few years ago, 
they acquired a company called Modiface, uh, which provided this type of technology for them to do that. So obviously, you know, you're thinking about how do we engage consumers with digital experiences? How do we, um, you know, continue to interact with our consumers and see what they're interested in? And, uh, you know, in, in some ways, based upon the amount of usage maybe that filters get, you can also think about what products may be more interesting to different groups of people or, you know, what they're more interested in. But um, I have to show you one. This is my my favorite one so far. And here it is. There you go. It's already feeling very effective. <laughs> so there's fun and then there's just like, you know, normal stuff as well. But um Yes. Do you think you can have a serious conversation with me if I leave this filter on the rest of the time? Yeah. I, I, it would take a little while. I could get used to it, I think. I think I could get used to it. It's a bit much. Yeah. It's a bit much. Um, there you go. That's doable. It's doable. Okay. I feel like I'm in a snow globe. <laughs> What do you think about this story? Um, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I like that from a brand point of view, they're trying to, you know, stay relevant and stay connected to their customers and potentially drawing in new customers and, and younger folks and so on as well. Right. I mean, that are, you know, playing around with social media. I think we're all on these calls all day. So, you know, you know, trying to find ways to make it more entertaining, more fun. And, it, and if you can put on virtual makeup and, you know, sort of not have to, uh, you know, put in the same effort that you would to go physically into the office, you know, I, maybe, maybe there's something there, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't wear makeup, but I can see, you know, that uh, there, there, there's something here that, you know, can be, can be quite appealing to, to folks, right, to, to embrace technology this way. You know, and I love that they're, you know, sort of doing something with the Modiface uh, acquisition. Obviously, for me, that's great. It's a local uh, Toronto company that they, they acquired. Uh, so go Canada on that, uh, you know, that's powering, you know, some of this type of tech. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have a lot to add to it because obviously it's not something that, you know, is relevant to me. I'll, I'll ask my daughter, or I'll ask my wife and, and, and get them to play around with it and see what they think too. Um, maybe I'll have more of a report on it next week, um, you know, in terms of their thoughts. But uh, yeah, I, I like the fun aspect of it. I like, you know, the festive applications. I wonder about whether or not, you know, if, if from a, you know, not so much the Christmas stuff and so on, but like the general, you know, adding blush to your face or, you know, uh, you know, other, you know, lipstick or what have you, um, you know, doing that virtually, if there's something, you know, if it, if it works, if there's something that they can monetize there, you know, with different applications and so on, you know, that people could pay for, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah. I mean, I'm impressed with like, at least the regular filter, how it stayed on my face, because when I think of what it, you, you know, tell. you think about like the virtual backgrounds, they're like always kind of weird. Yeah. For people and you're moving around a lot and it's just kind of awkward um, and I find it really distracting sometimes and so I think that this is interesting because it looked so far just from my little test yeah. it looked like it was actually staying on my face and it looked like it was part of me it looked I mean, like, not the like it didn't it didn't look like you were like totally like did something weird to your face like it, it like yeah to me it was so, like an easy you know sort of transition there um so yeah it worked yeah 
Yeah, I like it. Sounds okay. Good. <laughs> All right, our, on to our uh, our final story for this week. Um, so this is more of a some research uh, data that's out right now, which I found quite intriguing. So, obviously, uh, New Zealand has been held out, uh, you know, across the world as one of the places that has been able to contain COVID uh, relatively well uh, compared to many other countries that we see. Obviously, they have the, the, the advantage of it being an island and they can kind of lock things down and, you know, population isn't, you know, um, you know, massive compared to um, some of the other markets out there. But the fact is, is they, they've been able to do it well. They have taken more stringent steps than many other countries in terms of, you know, app based, you know, contact tracing and tracking and location data and all that other stuff. Right. That lots of places haven't done. Um, and so one of the things is, is they, they did a uh, here technologies, who's a big LVMA member, did a survey uh, in New Zealand uh, with with uh, the general public to uh, understand their willingness to share location data. And this is obviously. You know, in just in recent times, after having you know the whole population basically using an app and tracking and all that kind of stuff, and so they surveyed 500 New Zealanders uh, uh, over the age of 18, and what they found was uh, more than half of them uh, felt that they're more willing now uh, than ever to share location data. Uh, so that in itself is very interesting to me. Uh, they point out that catastrophic events like, you know, um, things like earthquakes and hurricanes and, you know, obviously COVID and things like that, you know, tend, to, you know, when, when that, when location data is used to help the public in, in a public awareness or public alerts or, you know, whatever uh, uh, type of scenario, uh, there's, there tends to be more of a willingness to do this. So over half, 58% of respondents say they use location data daily. Um, or at least a few times a week, a third, uh, 34% saying they have some or all of their location services switched on. So that's a pretty significant penetration and use uh, case of location data going on uh, within uh, the New Zealand market. And I'm not like overly surprised by this because, you know, I, I think, you know, I was, I was, uh, I did an interview for the New York Times uh, a couple months ago uh, now, and we, we got onto this topic and about the government's use of location data. And, you know, we've been for the last number of years now with GDPR and California Privacy Act and other uh, rules here in Canada, we just had new privacy laws come into uh, effect here in just in the last couple of weeks. And there, the pendulum has been swinging to tighter and tighter controls and restrictions. And what I find is that from the conversations I'm having with government officials, with privacy experts and others, um, you know, sort of in this pandemic time is that I think there's a bit of uh, sort of congruency with what is what this, this data is saying in New Zealand, which is from a consumer public point of view, there is a willingness in, in you know, in practical health based you know, uh, or public uh, awareness type of applications uh, to be accepting and open to the use of location data. And so what I think is actually going to happen is, is that we're actually going to see a bit of a relaxing over the next 18 to 24 months in some of those rules, or at least in, in, in some applications that allow for it to be used in, in different ways. Because I think at the end of the day, if we want to keep people healthy, if we want to keep people safe, Location data is central to that argument um, in terms of understanding what's going on, in terms of tracking, you know, the, the, the spread of the virus and, and, and 
positive tests and, and cases and all this other stuff, you can't do it effectively without access to that data. And I think people are, are realizing that same as they realize you can't have Uber and Waze and weather apps, you know, that are accurate and work without location data. And so there's a utility there. There's a value proposition there. And the same is true for this kind of health data. And that's why you're seeing these kinds of numbers in New Zealand. And I think we're going to see that sort of help to swing the pendulum a little bit back. I'm not saying it's going back to where we were five years ago or 10 years ago uh, in just the, the blanket freedoms uh, of, of how uh, data was used and in some cases misused. But I think we're going to start to see a, a, a more of an awakening or an awareness in the consumer public on the value of that data and, and their willingness to share it in certain cases such as for health. Thoughts? Yeah, so I'm kind of, um, I feel like I'm sort of a little further away from that in the aspect that just yesterday I was reading an announcement of another company that was doing something similar. Remember, um, early on we had talked about Google and Apple were working together to do like that Bluetooth tracing yep. um, that was anonymized. And so it's very similar to that approach this company was taking. And just reading through the Twitter feed and the comments and people's responses to the idea of anonymized uh, tracing information was very much in line with um, like, I'm not giving, you know, I'm not going to give the government my, my data. And I, I think that the challenge is that we know oftentimes what a, you know, a third party company may make uh, with good intentions, the government's going to come in and use um, for, you know, more privacy invasive reasons. And, and so, I mean, we're seeing that a lot, like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of innovations that are happening, like with the facial recognition and things of that nature, where there's a lot of opposition to it as well. And rightfully so, right? So I think it's a balancing act and it's hard to convince a lot of consumers uh, to give up that information, not necessarily because they don't want it to be used. You know, if you had a guarantee that it was only going to be used for that reason, uh, you know, that would be great. But the reality is at any point in time, it may not be. <laughs> so I feel like it's just a hard, it's a hard sell for a lot of people and people would rather take precautions and not go places than give that up or, you know, certainly don't want to be forced to give that up. However, I would say as a, for myself personally, I wouldn't have a problem sharing that information likely if it was, especially if I was a high risk person. Um, I think that it would be a little bit easier to convince me because I don't feel like I have anything to hide, but you know, you also just don't, it's, it's a fine line. So I, I feel like I see both sides right now. Um, and I will, I would be surprised if at least here in the States, it was widely adopted, but I think there's other countries where it could, it could be. Yeah. And, and I think the, the political climate, you know, is part of that, uh, discussion, you know, just to 100%. kind of close out the article. So uh, for a few more numbers here, they said, uh, and again, this is New Zealand we're talking about, 64% of those surveyed believe their personal location data can be used positively by government agencies versus only 39% who feel the same about private companies using their data. So that is interesting. And then they go one step further, they say belief in private companies drops even further for those over 54, demonstrating age as a deciding factor as well. So like, I think there's, 
that that says a lot to me, right? Like, you know, obviously the, there's in, in New Zealand right now. If you've watched kind of the, the political environment there, people love their, uh, you know, their prime minister. Um, uh, very well uh, received by the population and so on. Obviously, you know, the U.S. is in a whole different uh, ballgame right now here in Canada. You know, we're having issues right now as well with a minority government. So I think the political clim climate speaks to that. But I think if we can extrapolate out a little bit, I think there's this sort of general more uh, openness right now to uh, looking at the value of location data when it can be applied to saving lives or helping people make better decisions in terms of their health um, and so on. So, yeah, uh, you know, we'll yeah. have to see how that plays out. But um, I, I think it's a positive sign. So we'll go, we'll go with that. So that's our show. Uh, you've been listening to episode number 493 of Location Weekly. Uh, we thank you for your time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, um, please give us some feedback, some stars, some likes uh, on whichever platform you're consuming this. I'm sure Abriana will be back next week with yet another uh, different makeup look um, that's coming out of this. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it's uh, we'll, we'll see you all next week for 494. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.